Hey, it's Alan Berg. Are you coming to Wedding MBA this year? Well, I'll be there again. I haven't missed one since the first one in 2007. So I look forward to seeing you there. And if you want to save $20 off the current ticket price and they get higher as you get closer, go to WeddingMBA.com. Use the promo code Alan, A-L-A-N. WeddingMBA.com, promo code Alan, save $20. I look forward to seeing you there. Before we get into this episode, I'm starting something called Ask Me Anything. That's right. You submit your questions and they could become an entire episode or something that I answer at the end of an episode. To submit your questions, look for the red button at podcast.allenberg.com. That's right, podcast.allenberg.com. Click on the red button, submit your question, and maybe you'll hear it here on the podcast. Thanks. When I think of scaling a business, there's different ways to scale. There's multiple locations, there's multiple cities and states, and then there's just growing in volume. And my next guest has grown in volume in a way that I think you're going to find really interesting. Stay tuned. Thanks for tuning in to the Wedding Business Solutions Podcast. I'm Alan Berg speaker, author, sales trainer, website reviewer, and business consultant to wedding and event businesses just like yours. These ideas apply to businesses, not just wedding and event businesses, and I want to help you sell more, profit more, convert more leads, and have more fun doing it in the process. Enjoy this episode. I am so glad to have on the Wedding Business Solutions Podcast my good friend, my uh, Queens-born-with-me, Mets-loving and hating ourselves for it, uh, friend Mike Walter. Mike, how you doing? I'm great, Alan. Thanks for having me on. I think the term is long-suffering Mets fan. I think that's the... (laughs) That just kind of covers everything. Yeah, I, I think yeah. I think it does. You know, it's, yeah. those of us just love getting our hearts broken, and, and yeah. there you go. But I was in- twenty years old when they won their last world championship, and if you had told me that night you're not going to get another one, you're going to be in your mid fifties and still not have another. I think I might have celebrated that that championship a little bit more than I did that night. But that's hopeful, right? We're just yeah. hopeful, yeah. hopeful thinking. And, and listen, you are an optimist, my friend. I know that. Uh, so Mike and I have a lot in common, which we didn't know until we met many years later. We both grew yeah. up in Queens in New York City. We're both uh, fans of the Mets. Shea Stadium, when there was a Shea Stadium there, Mike, right. one, of, one of Mike's dog's name is? It's Shea. That's right. And, I named my dog Shea. And if Citibank wants to give me enough money, I'll change his name. <laughs> yeah. There you go. But Mike, so your business now, you were the first business to hit 2,000 reviews on Wedding Wire, correct? Yep. I, well, I believe so. I can't really get a, a firm answer from Wedding Wire, but... Uh, I'm pretty sure we either were or the first one to get there with a 5.0 average. So either way, I'm I'm happy with it. Either yeah. way, you're happy with it. So yeah. obviously, you do a, a significant volume. So in a normal year, we're not going to talk 2020 or 2021. Right. But in a normal year, like in in 2019, how many weddings did your company do? We did about 12. Well, weddings we did about 900. We do about 1,200 okay. events, uh, just shy of a thousand weddings. Okay. And how yeah. many DJs, entertainers do you have working with you? 16. 16. Okay. Yeah. Now, you didn't start out and flip a light switch and you became 16. You actually started Absolutely out not. as a DJ, what, on Long Island, was it? Uh, no, I started out in New Jersey. I was living in Queens and okay. was starting to get booked by a company in, in uh, North Jersey. You remember Star DJs back in the sure. day. And and they were the ones that really kind of encouraged me to move out to Jersey and and because they were booking me so much. But yeah, that's really where I got started. Okay, so they brought you out here, and you're working for them. And when did you start your own business, and what made you start your own business? So I was with them for about four years, and they had made some business decisions that I didn't love. So I I, I looked to get out of there, 
and um, and started Elite with a partner. And my vision from day one was to build some depth because that's what I had come from. Star DJs was a company with 40, 50 DJs. I never really wanted to get that big, but but I mean, I I knew when I left Star, it wasn't going to be just me and Eric DJing. It was, we were going to build some volume and some depth. Okay, so you started uh, you know, Lead Entertainment here in New Jersey, you and Eric. How long did it take until you grew that from more than just you two? Pretty much right away, we started adding another DJ. And then once we were able to fill his calendar, we added a fourth and then a fifth and and. I bought Eric out in 97 and that's really when the growth took off because I, you know, I, it was fear. I went into debt to buy him out. So now I had this big nut to, to pay back every month. And, and that's where I went from hustling to really hustling. And, and um, yeah, I'd say the next five or six years after buying him out, we, we had some great growth and I met some amazing DJs and some guys who are still on staff. I've given out now four 20 year plaques to DJs have been with me for more than 20 years. So, and that kind of longevity is sort of unheard of in our industry. It's not just our industry. It's unheard of period in a lot of industries. Matter of fact, I graduated college, wanted to get into advertising. I got into advertising only to find out that you basically work for a company for about a year, year and a half, have to leave and go someplace else to get promoted and make more money. And I didn't understand that. My dad worked for an accounting firm for 17 years, right? Then went to another one, became a partner, was there for 10 years. I'm like, right. why can't you do that, right? Why yeah. can't you do that? When I'm working with companies as a consultant, I look for stuff like that because that says a lot to me all the way up and down the chain. If those people are around for 20 years, they have to be being taken care of as a person, right? Not just as a worker, I'm squeezing you for every dollar you can get right. there. So, right. But when you left Star and you went and started your own business, you had to become then a manager, not just a DJ. So what was that transition like for you? That was a learning process for me, Alan. And, and you know, you referenced early in the show that we're both New Yorkers. And I, I came to realize that the communication style is a little bit different. You wouldn't think New York to New Jersey would be that much different, but but it was. And and I, I was losing people early on because I was a little, a little too upfront and maybe in your face in New York, if you will. And so I had to kind of dial back my communication style, but I, but I did, and I was able to do it successfully. And and that's why, I, you know, like I said, I've got I'm really proud of the longevity I have. But yeah, that was a self-taught kind of thing. I realized early on, oh, you're turning people off with your with your communication style, Walter. You better you better smooth it out. <laughs> I actually had that uh, when I sold my uh, Wedding Pages franchises and went to work for Wedding Pages Corporate before they got bought out for the knot, I was writing emails and somebody asked me to change the language in my emails because I was sounding elitist, which is funny because you're elite entertainment, but right. I was sounding elitist and I didn't think so. I was just writing with proper grammar and you know maybe using dollar and a quarter words instead of you know 25 right. cent words. Right. And, and they said, but it's coming across as elitist. I was like, you know, okay, I guess I, I guess I have too good of a vocabulary. Is that a problem? But have to it's dummy not, this down a little bit. Yeah. 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 But it's the way it's yeah. perceived to other people. I, and I went from being a salesperson to publishing magazines to eventually 50, 60 people at the knot. That's for people listening here. Running a business is different than being a solopreneur. Absolutely. You're, you're doing yeah. everything. Now, but you are still a practitioner. You are out there doing weddings. Absolutely. Um, and that's a choice because there are people that could run a business your size. Again, 1,200 events a year. You could be sitting in the office, you know, steering the ship instead of out there. Why are you still out there? 
You know, Alan, I, I actually did cut back drastically about seven or eight years ago. I, I was starting to put uh, block off a lot of dates and a lot of full weekends. And I think my my fewest events in one year, I did like 22 events. And I just found that I really missed it. I, you know, I said to myself, Mike, you didn't get into this business to run a business. You got into this business to entertain people. And that's my true passion. And that's what I really love doing. And so after that year, I slowly started opening up some more dates and accepting more events and everything else. And I'm just, I find that I just still look forward to, I mean, it's a Thursday afternoon that you and I are talking. I have a wedding tonight and I'm looking forward to it. As soon as we get off this call, I'm going to load up the truck and get ready to go to a wedding. And, and it's something I, I still enjoy doing. Right. Um, you know, there's a great uh, line, Bob Hope, late in his life, somebody said, why don't you just retire and go fishing? And he said, because the fish don't applaud. <laughs> and, um, and, and there is something to that as an entertainer, you know, most entertainers, whether they'll admit it or not, have a little bit of a, a hole in their being that they need filled with the adulation of a crowd. And, and I, and I definitely have that. Yeah. It's the why, you know, why do you do what you do? Right. And, and I know that you and I have in common that we don't do it for the paycheck, we do it because we know we're having an impact on people. We're, right. we're adding value to that. Um, I love, uh, Mike is great on social media and on Facebook, Instagram. And Mike posts these pictures of him at a ceremony. And it's my view of a thousand ceremonies, he always says. Yep. And there it is. There's half of a speaker in there because it's he's behind it. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. I realized that years ago. I'm like, God, I started thinking to myself, how many ceremonies have I witnessed from this view. And I just took a picture and put it up on Facebook and it people were like, oh, that's cool. And then it just started becoming a thing. And and after this last year, when I hardly put that picture up, when I started <laughs> recently, people were like, oh, great. We're getting to see these pictures again. You know, right. But it yeah. is your view. And what's important about that view is you're showing what's important, which is the ceremony. Right. I'm behind the speaker. Don't look at me. Right. This is not what this is about. And you understand that you're also a, um, a speaker at conferences. You've written the book. I, I tell people, if you want somebody who's written not a book on running a multi-op, who wrote the book on running multi-op, that's Mike. But you have that credibility because you're still out there doing it. Right. But the running the multi-op is different than being the DJ. Totally. Right? Yep. Totally. Right. Yeah. And, and you know, you talk to people all over the country because you go to all the conferences. I see you at a lot of the conferences. And when people look at you and they say, oh, you know, 1,200 events a year. Yeah, I'm going to do that. They don't necessarily understand what it takes to do that. So mm -hmm. what are some of the, the things that you've learned in growing, understanding that people listening are not just DJs and entertainers. They're all throughout the wedding and event industry. What are some of the things you learned as you scaled your business up to this many events that, you know, you wish you knew then what you know now? So I think a big part of it is the fact that I'm still doing events. I, I know some multi-op owners who have stopped and they're no longer, quote unquote, out in the field. And I think when enough time goes by, you start losing, uh, your staff can't relate to you anymore and you start losing credibility. You know, when, when I get my staff together, I can talk to them about the hot new songs that are hitting and, and this approach and something I've seen here and something I've done. But if I had stopped doing events completely a number of years ago, I think my staff would listen to that and they would go in one ear and out the other because they'd go, when was the last time Mike did an event? So I don't say you have to stay in the field as manically as I do because I do an awful lot of events, but I think you should keep that toe in the water at least so that you can relate to your crew and your staff. And I mean, as far as finding talent, Alan, one of my biggest tips to anyone who asks me is always be on the lookout because- some of the best DJs that I have on staff, I just met them in some happenstance and I 
recognized the fact that they had a lot of the talents that I looked for in a DJ. And I said, Hey, you should think about doing this. And they approached me and I trained them and they came aboard. And I often think about those moments like, man, if I didn't have my DJ radar up in that moment and give somebody my business card and say, Hey man, I think you'd make a great DJ, you know, uh, history would be a little bit different. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, what do you look for? What is it that you saw in like the last person that you brought on that was successful with you? What did you see? So, I mean, personality is is first and foremost. In my industry, you need to have an outgoing personality. You can't be a wallflower. You can't be shy. You, you know, you have to be able to, a smile that lights up a room and and gregarious. I don't want to use too big a word and get elitist, sorry, <laughs> but um, you just need to have that. And And I'll also say this, and I know some people get turned off by it, but I look for a look as well. I mean, we are in the entertainment business. Aesthetics is important. And so somebody who is fairly attractive is going to be more successful in my line of work. So uh, I look at the whole package. How do they talk? How do they communicate? What's their personality? And, and what is their look? Okay. And how long is your training process? Because I know you you do a, a very, very extensive training process. You're not going to say, oh, you've you watched me do two events. Okay, go out and do that because it's your name yeah. on the door. I would much rather find somebody who has never DJed and teach them everything from A to Z. And that's a much slower process and there's no guarantee, which is why a lot of DJs are like, I'm not going down that road. But uh, A, when it's all said and done, I know that they've not only been trained, but they've been trained in my style. And also B, I do think that training can can give you a little bit of loyalty to start out with. It's not endless loyalty. You can't abuse somebody and think, well, I trained them, so they're never going to leave. But it does kind of give you a head start in that department. So um, typical timeline, when they come aboard, they start assisting. And then if they, if from assisting, they show that I was right early on and they do have potential, they enter training. And that's a four-month process. So typically, it's a six to eight-month process between the time I meet somebody and the time that they do their first event. Right. And another thing that I know we've spoken about and without talking numbers here, you pay your people well. Have to. You have to pay your people competitively or they're going to leave. I mean, you know, pay isn't the only thing, but at some point, if they realize I could make an extra three, four hundred hours of Saturday night working for somebody else, uh, they're going to go. No matter how much they love you, they're going to seek greener pastures. Right, right. So you're taking care of them as people. You're taking care of them financially. Yeah. Right. So going back to you doing events, I don't know if people caught this, but you said the way you described it was you accept a certain number of events a year, right? Yes. Most people say, I do X number of weddings. You said, I accept. Yeah. So for you to personally do somebody's wedding, what does it mean for you to accept it? Well, it, first and foremost, it means that I've kept that date open on the calendar. And that's something I'm really, you know, 2021, forget about it. Because I mean, all of last year's postponements, I opened up a lot of dates that I personally wanted to have off. But typically, you know, my sweet spot is about 60 to 65 events a year for me personally, which means I've got some Sundays off that I can spend with my wife. I've got some weekends off that we can go away. I'm a firm believer in the uh, restorative uh, quality of a vacation. So I, I don't want to just work 365 days a year and and burn out. So um, typically, when I say accept the wedding, number one is that date is open on the calendar. And then number two, I mean, I'm not really that picky as far as uh, who I accept as a, as a bride and groom. If they want me and I have that date open and they're willing to pay that price, then I'm taking the wedding. 
Okay. And so with the 16 DJs, is it one price for everybody, same price, or is it are people at different prices? Well, I don't have tiered pricing like that, but what we do is we offer discounts as we get closer to the date. Okay. So in other words, we hold out for price until about six months before, and then we'll discount a little bit. And then three months in advance, we'll discount even more. And what typically happens is your veteran DJs get booked further in advance while your newer DJs get booked closer to the date. So while I don't have a staff picture that I can say, that guy's worth nineteen fifty, that guy's worth fourteen fifty, it generally works out that way. Okay. But you started out that if it's Saturday in 2022 in September. Here are the DJs of, that are open. Here's the price. Yeah. And it's the same price, same yeah. price for all yeah. of them, right? Yeah. Um, okay. Because I, I had a, um, a client who was a wedding planner in Michigan and she was running the business and she had other people doing planning, but she said, I accept 10 weddings a year. She had three kids. Her mom was ill. She's like, I'm going to accept 10, but they're going to be the right ones. Right. And what that for her meant is they had a budget that was at least six figures and that she was charging them by the hour, which for a wedding planner is very unusual, right? That's not a flat fee, whatever. She's like, this way, if at eight o'clock at night, I'm on my laptop, instead of reading a story to one of my kids, I'm getting paid for that. At least she's getting paid. Right. I'll get right. paid. I don't want to do it, but I'm going to get paid. But she was going to accept. But then, right. that phrasing there, I accept whatever, because I know people that'll say, listen, I'm going to do certain weddings. I'm going to charge more for me. You've chosen not to do that, which I also think sends a sign that, listen, the quality here is only one level. That's it. I think it would be hard for me to, to convince people that I believe our staff is equally as talented from guy one to guy 16 if I charge tier pricing. I mean, you know, listen, I went out to dinner the other night and I was looking at two different steaks and one was $50 and one was 35 you couldn't convince me. There's nothing you could say to convince me that the $50 was the same as the 35. Nothing. I, you know, my assumption, and by the way, after a long weekend, I got the $50 steak because I felt like I was worth it. But there's no way you could convince me that the 35 was the same quality. So I don't know how, I know some DJs use, um, well, it's, it's not quality, it's experience or, but I just think at the end of the day, the consumer, now they still might go for the cheaper guy, the DJ, because they might go, well, we believe in your brand. And we want to save that money, but there's no way in a consumer's head that they're not going to think, well, then that person's got to be better than the other person. Right, right. And again, this is a sign that you have to send. Um, I, I have somebody else that's on my scaling podcast. I, I mentioned to you, they have 44 venues. The packages are exactly the same at every venue. The pricing is only different in different places. These are different states, different parts of, right. of states and stuff like that. Because the rental fee might be different at that one, or there might be, you know, might cost more to get the food. Yeah, I was going to say just cost of living. I mean, you can't, you know, I I know DJs in North Carolina that can't get the price that we can get. But, you know, they also bought a house for half of what I bought mine (laughs) for. So it all kind of comes out in the wash. Yeah, exactly. And that's a choice, right? That's a choice. You also had, uh, you know, your partner at the PHDJ podcast, Joe Bunn, Joe's sister's up in Montana. Well, you think, okay, Montana. But I remember Joe saying, that's where the billionaires are kicking out the millionaires. You know, it's like, <laughs> right. you think of Montana, that's not what you think of. But, right. you know, that's why they go there, because they can buy 15,000 acres of land and, right. you know, have nobody around them over there. So the level that you're at, there's 1,200 events a year. How long have you been, again, not including 2020, 2021, of course, but how long have you been at that level? Probably for about a decade. We leveled off about 10 years ago at that number. And I don't know whether it's just my own shortcomings or or what, but I just can't seem to break through it. And maybe nor do I want to. I mean, I, I'm I make a pretty good living, and so do the people who work for me. And but it's also manageable. 
I think maybe if I added, you know, 40% to that number, maybe I wouldn't have that time to enjoy life a little bit and take my vacations and, and take a Sunday off here and there and be able to spend some time on the beach. Or in Jamaica in a, in a suite. Yes, in, exactly. And in, 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 in was it January or February? That February. That, is, February. <laughs> that, that, that pin is on the calendar and, I'm, and I have a mantra, just make it to Jamaica, just make it to Jamaica, just make it to Jamaica. That's my mantra. And not the Jamaica in Queens that I grew up in, right? Not, no, not that one. No, not I could make one. it okay. to that Jamaica anytime. Yeah. We, we could go there. Yeah. So who does the sales? You have 1,200 events a year. Who's doing that? Myself and Dominic. And uh, Lynn helps out. I have an office manager, Lynn. She helps out from time to time. But Dominic and I do the bulk of the sales. Okay. Yeah. Uh, are your 16 people, uh, are they all full-time DJs, entertainers? No, no. Or? We very few full-time. Most of our staff have full-time jobs, and they do this on the weekend. Okay. Yeah. Uh, is that something you look for? Or just Oh, I'd much rather that. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I would much rather, you know, in my experience, if a DJ doesn't have a full-time job, at some point they're going to go, what do I need Mike for? I could, I could do this and maybe make a little money. And they could be wrong about that because they might not make more money with, you know, without right. me, but, right. but they're going to sit around thinking that my DJs who have a full-time job, it's just enough for them to contact their clients and then do their gigs on their weekend. The last thing that they want is to get involved in marketing the business and insuring the business and selling the business and and all that. So yeah, I would much rather get either full-time college students or people with a full-time job. Okay. And the full-time college students, don't you risk losing them after college? Yeah. I mean, if they're going to leave the area and that's an upfront conversation we have, but I'm, you know, I mean, ideally I love to get people in their early twenties when they're still in college. And then when they graduate college, they're their full-time career is slowly getting starting and they, they still need that part-time income. You know, typically when a DJ leaves me, it's because the full-time job has taken off. They're making enough money Monday through Friday. Maybe a couple of kids have come along. They can't give up the weekends. That's typically when I lose a DJ. So I'd much rather that uh, calendar start in their early 20s than in their late 20s because then that, that window might be shorter. So each of your people determines their own calendar availability. Is that it? Absolutely. Yeah. And when do you figure that out? Is that like you sit down in January uh, when you get back from Jamaica? And do no, that or- they, they <laughs> well, no. First of all, in this industry, you got to block dates off a lot further in advance than that. So yeah. uh, we use an online planner system where the DJs can block off their dates. And, you know, I've got, I've got some guys that will block off every Friday. Some guys block off every Sunday. Some of them will put in like, I can take a Friday event, but only if it starts, you know, at six o'clock in Monmouth County, which, you know, makes sales a little bit wonky, but I, I get it. I mean, so um, yeah, it's really completely up to them. Now, listen, if they block off, if they only leave me 10 dates a year to book them, then we'd have a conversation about, is it really worth keeping you on staff? But, you know, as long as somebody leaves open enough dates that, that it makes sense to keep them on staff, then, then I'm fine with that. So one of the things you mentioned is, you know, breaking through this level. Um, I, I've talked to a bunch of people, uh, a lot of them entertainers, trying to grow their business. And I remember one of them saying to me, uh, one, one of them was just two people. And he said, you know what? I want to do 250 events a year. I said, okay, why? <laughs> right. That was my first that just question. seems like an arbitrary number to throw out. Right. I said, I said, why? And he said, well, I'll be seen as a bigger player in the market. I said, okay, why is that important? Right. And he said, you know, well, the planners and people will see me as a bigger company. I said, okay, so why is that important? (laughs) I kept, kept asking that. And, and then I said, all right, so let's, let's talk about this. You want to go from the two of you who are doing about 50, 60 events each, right? So let's say a hundred, 120, you want to double that, right? 
I said, why? He said, well, I'm turning away a lot of business at a lower price point, which was a, still a decent price point, but he was at a, a higher point. And I said, well, you're going to need to do more advertising, more marketing. You might need office staff now, more insurance. Uh, are you providing their equipment or are they providing? Right. Let's go through all the things here. Right. I said, the easiest thing is the equipment, right? You have a credit card, <laughs> go buy equipment. You can do right. that. The second easiest is actually the people. Like you said, you keep your eyes open. You can find some people here. But now you have to bring in more leads. You're going to have to do more advertising marketing. Uh, another guy up in Boston, he wanted to get to 500 events from 200. I said, again, equipment is easy. People you can probably find. There's DJs around. You can find them. But are you getting so many leads that you're turning away? That's, that, the, that's the big question right there, Alan. If, right. if you're turning down a dozen events a year, that's not enough. If you're turning right. down two events a week, then, oh, man, you better go get yourself some extra staff. Right. Uh, but you're right. If, if you're if you're only turning down a handful of events a year, then if you want to bring somebody new on, it takes on uh, showcasing and marketing and probably paid advertising on some social media. So right, realize that before you go into it. My advice to anyone, if they're looking to expand, don't add that next DJ until you're turning down a good amount of work. Right. And again, not just DJ, whatever it is, you're a photographer, you're a videographer, you're an officiant. Right. right. Are you are you turning down work and like I could be making money there, but I can't be in two places at once. Right. Like, and then another part of that is if you're not, then maybe you should look at your performance, because if your performance is not generating enough referrals, then maybe it's something you're doing out in the field that's not generating enough phone calls. And for your non DJ listeners, I mean, the same thing can be said for the pictures that you're taking and the video that you're producing and everything else. If people aren't raving about your service to the point where you're getting what I call word of mouth referrals, then maybe it's what you're doing, you know, when you perform your service, maybe you're not blowing people away. And that's hard for people to admit, but a good look at what you're providing service-wise might tell you that. Uh, one of my other podcasts on my regular Wednesdays is about Everything is a transaction, right? Where money's going to exchange hands. But if you're just making it transactional, that it's just about, I'm going to take their money, I'm going to show up, I'm going to do something, or I'm going to provide X, flowers, favors, whatever it is, that's not going to generate the referrals because you're not wowing people. Right. Uh, everybody that is involved with a wedding is basically auditioning at every event, mm -hmm. right? You're, you're not there handing out your business cards and saying, hi, you know, hire me, but just by nature of what you're doing, you're getting referrals. So your business, again, you're getting referrals. Uh, do you do anything to try to, to get more referrals? Uh, do a great job. <laughs> do a great That's job, it. hand out business cards, blow brides away and, and grooms away to the point where they sing our praises. I mean, we do have a newsletter that we keep in touch with our past clients and we have a pretty decent open rate on that. So I know that our past couples still want to hear from us on a regular basis. So we kind of stay top of mind that way. So I think that certainly helps, but I don't have any kind of incentive program or anything like that, if that's what yeah. you're asking. No, don't need an incentive program, but it, the idea is you do need to stay top of mind because they don't, need, they don't need you personally. Right. Although uh, you also do holiday parties, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah. You, I mean, we get, the, we get the random future event from couples, but the, the most important way a past couple can help you in the future is, you know, when she's at work and her coworker gets engaged... Does she think to herself, hey, I got a great DJ for you. Here's a business card or here's his email address. If she doesn't think that, then then maybe you didn't leave the impression that you thought you were leaving. Right. But for me, part of it is if you don't ask, 
The answer is always no. True. Um, right. I have a speaker friend of mine, Bill Cates, C-A-T-E-S, and he has written many books about getting more referrals. I think he is the referral coach. That is his business, Referral Coach International. Right. And just by that newsletter, just by staying top of mind, they'll think of you more than if you just never reach out to them right. again. Uh, right. Some people are more proactive with that, sending out little doodads, gifts, or whatever. But uh, when I was on your podcast, the PhDJ podcast, subscribe to that as well. Thank you. Uh, even if you're not a DJ, you're going to learn some stuff over there. Um, we were talking about the value, right? What value can you add to the relationship that you have with that couple? Right. And if you're adding value to it, they're going to be top of mind. Uh, referrals happen because of opportunity, just like you find DJs because of opportunity. If somebody says, hey, I'm getting married, and they don't think to say, you know, elite entertainment, or if somebody says, hey, does anybody know a DJ? And they're like, yeah, I do. Yeah. And, but they don't think, right. oh, no, oh, no, you, you, oh, you want a DJ. No, 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 you need Mike. You need Dominic. Do, you know, right. Dominic from Elite, you need. Because each of your people, 20 years, your people have brands. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. and I encourage that. Our, our business cards are two-sided. The one side is always the same with the company information. But the flip side is their picture and their name. And I want them to proudly give that out. So when somebody calls us or emails us and said, hey, I have one of your business cards here, flip it over. Who's the DJ? That's that, you know, and he gets the track of the referral. Um, so absolutely. Yeah. It's one of the things we do with our showcasing. You know, I, I want Jay Thompson to be able to sing at our shows so people can see he's got a unique talent. And, you know, I want I want people to hear Dominic's voice to hear what a great MC he is. So um, and that's one of the also the reasons why I insist that my DJs work for me exclusively, because you can't build a brand for a DJ if they can also be booked outside of your company. Right. And, and these people are great entertainers. And if they don't want to run a business, if they don't want to deal with that kind of stuff, you're taking care of them. They're getting paid well. It works right. for everybody. That's what it yep. is. Again, you shouldn't look at your people as expendable because they will become that. They'll become that if you do that. So, um, matter of fact, it's the exact opposite. They're not expendable. They are the lifeblood of your business. You know, right? It's a lot easier to find a new client than it is to find a new DJ. So, right. I'm I'm doing everything I can to keep my guys on staff and gals. Right. I shouldn't I shouldn't just use the, the no 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 male yeah, but it, but the the other thing is you're also very confident when you're out at a wedding on a Saturday night that there's 15 other weddings that you have people at and you don't have to worry about them. Nope. I get so few phone calls and texts on a weekend. My DJs are incredibly responsible. You know, people ask me all the time, how do you even sleep at night? I'm like, because my staff is great. They understand the importance of what they do. They don't take it lightly. Now, I'm sure I've instilled that in them. That's why they understand it. But um, yeah, I, I have so few, I'm knocking wood here, yeah. emergencies. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, again, the key is you're at a level, you're comfortable with that level. You have a life, your staff, your people that work with you have a life. Um, it works for everybody. Could you break through that? Yeah. What would it take? More people, more headaches, more whatever. And then maybe you wouldn't be, you know, thinking about Jamaica and uh, let's just make it to Jamaica. <laughs> right. exactly. And there we go there. So uh, any last uh, words of wisdom for people here thinking about growing their business? I, I love the fact that you focused on the why. Um, and, and I think that's extremely important. I think the biggest thing that I advise, uh, especially single op DJs, but this probably is for anyone in the wedding industry. You have to shift your marketing focus once you go from just you to you plus somebody else. Um, and, and that starts with looking at your website, looking at your social media. It can no longer be all about you. And I think if you look at my website, EliteEntertainment.com, and if you look at 
uh, our social media. It's not like you're going to see a million pictures of Mike Walter and barely anything of anybody else. I love it when I get a great shot of Tom Monaco or or a great video of Dominic Sestito or whatever, because I don't want elite to, I don't want the perception of elite entertainment to be, it's Mike Walter with a bunch of other DJs. So that's the biggest shift. And because if you're a single op, your whole focus is selling you, you, you. And so immediately overnight, it needs to shift from just you to whatever your company brand is and, and the individuals that work underneath that. Right. Which is why the company name is not Mike Walter Entertainment. Exactly. It's elite Entertainment. Yeah. And why my business name is actually Wedding Business Solutions, but my website is allenberg.com because I have chosen for it to be just me. Right. It is me. And when you see me on stage, you're looking for Alan, even though the business name, you know, the name of the podcast there. Right. So the, with the expression that I gave to that guy that was trying to grow from, you know, two people to 250 events, I said, listen, I want to feed your family, not your ego. Hmm. That's well said. Yeah. And and I said, if you're trying to feed your ego, go for it. You know, you're, you're going to pass money from hand to hand to get those lower price DJs booked, right? Maybe right. a little bit of land in your lap. But, you know, if it's about feeding your ego, go for it. If it's about feeding your family, let's talk about profitability. Let's try to right. make, you, make you more profitable where you are instead of that. And that's where you are now. And I've worked with you already before. But if I was consulting with you on how to keep doing 1,200 events a year, but to have it be more profitable... We could look at ways to do that without doing more events, right? right? Figure out ways to do that. So, Mike, thank you so much. I'm going to put in the show notes any any links that you want to give me for people to find you, uh, ask any questions, uh, see more about what you do, look up how, how the heck did you get 2,000 reviews on Wedding Wire at Five Star by doing a great job. That's right. how they do that. Well, not only I've actually done an entire seminar, but doing a great job is step one. Yeah. But similar to the point you just made about referrals, if you don't ask for the review, you're not going to get a lot of them. And you That's just right. have to ask, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining me, my friend. I will see you very soon in my Chicago pleasure. at yes. a live event. Is that wow. is that a thing? Are we going to shake hands? We're actually going to be able to shake hands, Alan. You're, you're, you're vaccinated, right? I am. Double vaccinated. Okay. All yeah. right. So me, me too. All right. That Can't means we're hugging, we're hugging That's my friend. Right. No, we're no going to hug it out, my friend. We're hugging out. All right. See you soon. Hi, it's Alan Berg. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Wedding Business Solutions Podcast. You can find full transcripts on my website at podcast.allenberg.com. And if you have a suggestion for a topic for a new episode or even a guest, please let me know at alan at weddingbusinesssolutions.com. And if you'd like to find out about having me come and speak to your association or a conference or do sales training in person or remotely for your team, whether you're a team of one or a team of a hundred, please let me know again, alan at weddingbusinesssolutions.com. Thanks for listening.